Hey everyone, this is Jason Shepard, and you're listening to the Commercial Pilot Podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. What were some of my first jobs in aviation? Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here of M0A.com, and you are listening to the Commercial Pilot podcast brought to you by our number one rated online ground school. Check it out, m0a.com. See what it's all about, the new learning management system and all. You can check it all out. Uh, free two-week trial, actually, m0atrial.com. I want to share with you all and chat with you all today. Um, it's funny. So this Saturday's uh, in-flight, if you're listening to this, like literally as this comes out on, on the Thursday or the Friday, that it actually comes out, this uh, in-flight coffee this Saturday and every Saturday at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time, I go live on the main M0A Facebook page with a little show called In-Flight Coffee. Many, many of you uh, I know already watch that. This week's title is Careers in Aviation, which got me thinking... I've had some strange careers in aviation because that's the main thing, right? You're becoming a commercial pilot. And, you know, I was, unfortunately, I was always taught, you know, you, you become a commercial pilot, but there's no jobs for you. So that's strange because I'm learning to fly for hire and yet everyone says there's no jobs for you after you earn your commercial. And that was really discouraging to me. Um, it seemed like the only way to make money in aviation, low time, was to go become a flight instructor. And that, so many people do that. I don't like the term time builders. I think experience builders is a better way to put it. Time builder makes it seem like you're just there to do one thing, get your time and get out. And you know, I know there are some people that do that. Um, unfortunately, I would rather frame it though as an experience builder because you're building experience. You're helping others create experiences and moments and further themselves and better themselves personally and professionally. And yeah, you're getting paid to do it. That's a pretty cool uh, and very rewarding thing to be able to say. Experience builders, let's use that vernacular. But early on as a commercial pilot, you're right. There's not a lot of prospects unless you're willing to be creative. And this episode today is all about being creative. I'm going to share with you some of my first jobs in aviation. And at my very first job, I was a brand spanking new commercial pilot. I was working on my CFI, I was not a CFI out. I was working on my CFI. I had just relocated to the Jacksonville, Florida area. I was, um, I was flying up in the Massachusetts area, just relocated to Jacksonville, Florida. And I posted an ad on Craigslist under the uh, the job section there that, hey, I'm a commercial pilot. I've got, you know, however many hours uh, that I had at the time. It, it wasn't many um, back then. I'm working on my CFI, just willing to fly anything, willing to do anything. And someone responded to that ad. And I'm still friends with that gentleman today. His name is Joel. Maybe you've seen Joel in the Captain Joel and Controller Bob show that we've done in times past. Probably need to get some more episodes of that going. A funny, funny group. Um, but Joel has for a very long time been an aviation mentor of mine. 
And Joel responded to that ad and said, why don't you come tow banners for me? I said, wow, I've never thought, I've never towed a banner. I've seen them tow banners. I know nothing about towing banners. So I go and he wanted to do a little interview and kind of show me everything. And I remember, um, you know, I dressed up. I had my only nice polo shirt. I had it tucked into like some, some khakis and I had my only, my Walmart dress shoes that I can afford. I can still picture them with this fake leather. And it was like my only dress outfit. I dressed up and I, back then I had a comb over. I know it's, I have a much more respectable haircut now, not really, but um, I had a comb over and I went there and I'm all dressed up. And I didn't realize banner towing is not a polo and khakis kind of endeavor. So I showed up for my interview and there's Joel wearing like a, I don't know, a Tommy Bahama shirt and flip flops. I'm like, oh, uh, this is just a little bit different than I expected. And I met him at the ban I met him at the banner towing hangar. And um, we kind of went through the interview and everything else. And it, it, it must have uh, uh, been an okay interview because I could talk my way through it. And he said, hey, how about you come back tomorrow? We'll, we'll tow our first banner. I said, wow, this is awesome. I called my mom. They, you know, they were so excited. Jason got his first job in aviation, towing banners. And I don't even remember what Joel told me I made. I didn't really care because I was experience building. I just thought, I'm going to get paid to fly airplanes. Like how much cooler could it get? I am gonna get paid to fly airplanes. Isn't that like the pinnacle? Isn't that what, what anyone pursuing a career in aviation is really after? To finally get a paycheck and stop paying out. Because we spend a lot of time paying money out, don't we, in aviation? But it'd be nice to get some money in. So with that, um, I go out, I dress a little more casual uh, for my first day of towing banners. And Joel gives me just this really, really kind of fast overview. He's going with me, obviously. It's a, it's a dual flight. And we're, I don't remember what banner we're towing. Uh, it was a letter banner. It wasn't uh, an image banner. The image banners are actually very like, um, he has a big one uh, for Geico. And like those, gosh, they're, they're, they're huge. Uh, and they take a lot of skill. If we were flying, I don't know, well, a will you marry me banner. I'm making that up. I can't remember what we we're actually flying, what it actually said, but it was the spelled out letters, uh, which is an easier banner to fly. So um, we're getting in the plane and as we're getting, show me kind of how the systems work. And as we're getting in the plane, he hands me this huge Batman style grappling hook and literally hands it to me. I'm in the pilot, left pilot seat. He hands it to me through the window to hold on my lap. Now, I have to go back a little bit. Uh, if you've ever seen them pick up banners, it's fascinating. You don't take off with the banner, obviously. You, you take off and you have your hook connected. You don't take off with your hook dragging behind you, though. You take off with your hook on your lap and you toss it out once you get airborne. And then to pick up the banner, uh, the, there's a ground crew and the ground crew sets up this, uh, it's really like a football style goalpost and they hang the banner in between. If you can picture a goalpost, like a kicker kicks through the goalpost, um, and they put a little, the, the banner, the initial banner loop through the goalpost, and the banner is actually backwards out in front of you, so you pick it up and you lift it up backwards, so you don't actually drag it any. Um, so they set all that up, and uh, he explained to me that, and I got to watch it as ground ops, it was very, very fascinating. Then we went to go do it. He hands me back to the story, hands me the Batman style grappling hook and says, as soon as we get airborne, throw this thing out the airplane. That was it, that was, that was the instructions. 
Now, I guess he, clarity is power sometimes, and I guess he could have been a little more clear. We get airborne. I have my window open, so it's ready to throw the hook out. He says, okay, throw it out. And I wish you would have said, hey, kind of gently toss it out or, you know, bounce it off the tire and let it go back out or, or something. I took that hook. I, maybe it was a combination of adrenaline and wanting to do a really, really good job my first day on the job. I took that banner. I'm not even left-handed, but with my, my right hand on the yoke, my left hand on that grappling hook, I took that from across my chest all the way out that window, threw it as hard as I could. With the relative wind, it caught. It went all the way out and back. It went around the rudder. I cannot make this up. Joel is my witness. It went around the rudder, went around, so around the, the vertical stabilizer, latched back to itself through the yaw, like slammed, I guess it would have been the right rudder pedal, um, or sorry, it would have been the uh, left rudder pedal, I guess it would have been, slammed all the way to the floor. The airplane just yaws abruptly uh, that direction because obviously the cable is pulling the rudder um, that direction. And I've got this, I can't do anything about it. I'm on the pedals. I'm trying to break loose. I can't do this. Joel says, release the hook. I'm going, I'm trying to release, but there's too much tension on it. And it's wrapped in such a weird angle that it won't release. The It's just like a little D-clamp essentially, or C-clamp, I guess. Um, but it needs that weight off the back to release. If it's wrapped up uh, you know, towards the front of it, it's not going to release. So we couldn't release it. So needless to say, my day one, flight one, I had a banner towing emergency. And um, Joel took over the flight controls. We actually had a crosswind from that direction. He made a great, great little landing. We landed. Um, we had to stop. I remember uh, on the runway we uh, to get out and we unhooked everything. And then, uh, then we went. And after that, we did have a successful banner towing flight. And I towed the banner and everything else with Joel. It was fine. However, I realized this banner towing stuff's a little bit dangerous. You know, then I started looking up NTSB reports on banner towing and I just see all the stats. I think, you know, maybe I don't want to tow banners, but it's the end of the month and my rent is due and everything else. So Joel said, how well can you spell? So I was the ground crew for quite a while spelling out those, will you marry me and make sure I spelled everything um, correctly for those banners. You know, you had to, still had bills to pay. So I was a banner tower for a day. Um, Joel brought to me, though, another job, maybe a little bit less dangerous, um, and I've shared this one with you many, many times, is I was a traffic pilot throughout downtown Jacksonville. This job was uh, made obsolete by traffic cameras and probably even more so now by drones and everything else, but um, I used to be a traffic pilot all around Jacksonville, Florida. In a, most people think when you think traffic, they think a helicopter, but I was in a fixed-wing aircraft. Ironically, 7159 Quebec, which is now 23 Mike Zulu. When the city installed traffic cameras, um, Joel didn't have the traffic contract anymore, so he was selling the airplanes, and I bought 7159 Quebec, repainted it, and made it now 23 Mike Zulu. So I have a lot of time and memories in that airplane. It's a pretty cool story. That's not the story today, though. Um, I would fly two hours every morning, two hours every afternoon around Jacksonville, Florida. Everyone always wonders, like, Jason, how'd you get so many hours? Like, how, how is that? possible. And when you fly guaranteed four hours every single day, and then I was instructing in between because I would, I would do traffic from seven to nine in the morning. Then when I landed, I would start instructing all day. Uh, and then I would do my traffic shift from four to six in the afternoon. And I'd max out at eight hours. Like every, I'd go home so exhausted because you know, 
an eight-hour workday is very different than eight flying hours uh, with pre-flight and post-flight and then students and fueling and everything else. Like it's a realistic mental marathon of, you know, 10, 11 hour days mentally. Yeah, eight hours on the Hobbes meter, but there's a lot more that goes into it um, just beyond that. So I would do that and I would report traffic accidents to a local radio station there. And I would do that and it was a lot, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I shared a lot of stories how I let, um, you know, complacency kind of sneak in on that job. And I did this for many, many years, flying the same loop all around Jacksonville, Florida. It can get, um, it can get old sometimes and you get a little complacent with it. But traffic was probably one of the best ways. I was building time. I was getting paid to do it. I was instructing in between. It was really, really a great, great avenue. Again, I share all these stories, not to reminisce with you, but to share with you. Some people think I've got to go to the airlines. I've got to go to the military. And those are both very honorable, awesome career choices. But don't let anybody ever tell you, you can't make a living as a flight instructor. You know what phrase I hate? And you've been, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you've heard me say this before. I hate the phrase to make a million dollars in aviation, you have to start with two. It's not true. It's said by whoever's saying that to you, I guarantee has never done it. Hasn't made a million dollars in anything, not even the lottery. I guarantee it. That person who's saying that to you, they don't have the real world experience. And I'm here to tell you, you can make a good living in your passion of aviation. There's some weird niches out there, like banner towing, right? Banner towing I found because of Craigslist. Traffic I found because I was just an airport bum and I didn't want to take no for an answer. I knew I didn't want to tow banners, but I wouldn't leave the airport. I was the banner towing ground crew and these jobs came. Another job that wasn't posted on Indeed or back then it was like monster.com and Craigslist. I don't even know if monster.com is a job website. I don't think so, at least, but they didn't post these. I was a ladies grocery boy. Allow me to explain. Um, there was a lady, um, clearly very wealthy, owned a private island in the Exumas. And I would fly a beach baron, which I was thrilled to fly because now it was multi-engine time. And what she would do is she would call from a satellite phone and she would tell me everything she wanted. Right, um, it's, I remember it specifically uh, because I wasn't even 21 yet and she would order all this wine and I'd think, I can't go even buy this wine. So I'd have to go with Joel or somebody like that to buy all this wine so I could fly it to this lady. And she would just, her whole grocery, I mean it. Her, she would call me, I would write down her entire grocery order. She wants this wine and she wants you know this water and this you know chicken and all. I, I would get everything, I'd throw the cold stuff in coolers, I'd load up this Beach Baron. After I went to Publix, I'd load up the Beach Baron, I would fly down to the Exumas and she had this, it was very, very cool. It was like this uh, like shell, coquina kind of shell runway. Uh, you think landing, I mean, it's considered a soft field, right? But I'm used to landing, soft field is grass, not shell. Uh, and you land and the shells flick up and everything else. And it's very, very loud and very, very bad for the paint on the aircraft. We later learned as we were chipping paint away on takeoff and landing, especially the props too. Uh, but that's all she had. We'd go, we'd give her groceries. Um, then we'd go back and we'd hop to, uh, we already had cleared customs and grab fuel at this point. And then we would just head on back, clear customs, then back up to Jacksonville, we would go as a grocery boy. This was not posted on indeed.com, like I said. This was being an airport bum. 
And when I mean an airport bum, I mean, I would hang around the maintenance hangar and help put inspection plates back on for free. Like I wasn't making any money. I would sweep hangers out and clean hangers out, sometimes for money, sometimes swapping flight time, sometimes just to be at the airport. Uh, gosh, hanging out with Joel, doing the ground crew operations. Joel had his own fuel truck uh, for a time, probably still does, and has this, this fleet of banner towing aircraft. So I was kind of like a line guy for a bit. Like there was just so many odd random jobs and I just knew I wanted to be at the airport. You know, I always love when I run into a line guy or a line gal uh, at the airport and they come up and they go, oh, you're Jason. And it's so great to meet them. And I know when they recognize me that they're learning to fly clearly. So I was always asking their aviation journey and, oh, I'm working, I wanna be an airline pilot, I wanna be a CFI, one of these things. But they're being the airport bum, they're being a, and they're not being a bum, they're making money as a, as a line guy or a line gal there. I think that's so cool. Because when I say an airport bum, I mean you're really a notable networker, right? Like you are out there networking. You are, and as a line guy or a line gal, you are really meeting some powerful people that arrive in these jets, that you know who's doing the maintenance flights, you know who's active in the flight school, you know who needs a safety pilot. Like you just have your ear to the ground and you're in the know when you're at the airport. And that is so beneficial to have that level of detail and mindset with that. So again, Grocery Boy was, I can't remember how it came about. It probably was Joel. Um, just being an airport bum. I, I mean it. And, and, and I, I can literally attest to be an airport bum because I actually lived in an airport hangar uh, just for a few months when I was uh, in between moves and my lease was up and I lived uh, again, it was a decent, it was like an executive hangar. It was decent, it had a shower and everything else. It was decent, but it's still a, it was still an airport hangar with a window air conditioner and an air mattress that you had to wake up at two in the morning and reinflate. But again, stories for another day. One more, uh, just to get your mind stimulated of these odd jobs. I did whale watch. Um, and and this, this still exists, by the way these marine biologists, I would take them flying in a Cessna Skymaster, actually very, very cool. Uh, first and really only time I got uh, multi-engine center line thrust. The Skymaster is the push-pull, um, the prop up front, prop in the back, so it's multi-engine, but it's considered center line thrust. Uh, so I would go up and with another pilot, because I wasn't, uh, you, know, you have to be um, have your rating, I believe it is, for center line thrust. I didn't have that at the time, so we would go up and these marine biologists would sit in the back and they would send us the GPS longitude and latitude and coordinates of where these whales were. They're clearly tracking them. We'd put them in the GPS. We'd fly over the whales for them off the coast. They would you know, make a lot of notes and take a lot of pictures and do stuff. And when they told us to go back, we would go back. Or when we told them we needed to go back because of fuel, we would go back. And that was the whole job. And this still exists. There is um, you know, fixed-wing aircraft and helicopters that track... Um, bald eagle nests, uh, the Florida panther, um, down in the Everglades on both coasts, east and west coasts. Um, they'll do python and boa constrictor control. And literally, you can spot those from the air, and then they direct the guys or gals on the ground to go and get them. It's uh, If you're not familiar, uh, many, many years ago, a bunch of people got boa constrictors and, and uh, like anacondas, I don't know, huge monster snakes. Um, and obviously they grew up into huge monster snakes, didn't know what to do with them. They released them in the Everglades. They have no natural predators. So they just are tearing up the Everglades. So people go in and hunt them. Um, 
and they use aircraft to do that, to help find them and spot them. So it's very, very fascinating. But those are all jobs. Some of those are with the state. The marine biologists, I can't remember if that was the state or, or how that worked, uh, if it was a private organization that was doing it. My point of sharing all of this is there are odd jobs to be had at the airport for the regular old commercial pilot. Don't be fooled into thinking, oh, after commercial, I just have to go right to my CFI. I want you to, and I believe you should start your CFI, but why not look for that odd job? I mean, it could just be, um, I know some other things, not that I've done them, but others that have done them. Uh, you know, we have at the University of Florida at the Shands Hospital, and Life South is a big blood bank, and they fly blood every night, and they do it in a Cessna Grand Caravan, and oftentimes it's not required to be a crew, but they take a crew with them because they're like these 2 a.m. flights. So your right seat in a Cessna Grand Caravan flying blood at 2 in the morning. And I know friends that have done it and that still do it. And listen, I realize the, the money's not, uh, you know, bringing home the bank or anything just like that, but you're, would you like to get paid even a little bit and log Cessna Grand Caravan time? I can get past the 2 a.m. kind of stuff. That's not exactly my favorite time to fly, but I'm, I'm an in bed by 8 p.m. kind of person, but I can find a way to make that work. I'm sharing this to say, think outside the box. Be the airport bum. Hang out at the airport. You're not going to find these jobs on Indeed. You're going to find these jobs by being active at the airport. Are you in your local EAA chapter? Are you going to anytime you know, there's an event, a fly-in, an AOPA event, whatever it is at your airport, are you attending these things? Because you should be. That's how you meet people. I, I was a commercial pilot. I went to uh, Staples or Office Depot, whatever it was, and made up little business cards to hand to everybody with my cell phone number because I wanted everybody and their brother to know who Jason Shepard was. If they needed a pilot, I was there for them. Sa safety pilot, even. it didn't matter. I was there for you. It, it's a hustle and you have to love the game, right? And people always ask, do you really, do you play sports, Jason? Like, what are your hobbies? Like, aviation is my hobby, and aviation and business, for that matter, are my sports. Uh, and that's just what I choose to do. So uh, again, don't let anybody tell you there's no jobs for a 250-hour commercial pilot. It, it, it's small, it's a small, small uh, segment of the market. But there's opportunity out there if you're willing to hustle, if you're willing to be the airport bum, if you're willing to put your ear to the ground and seek those opportunities out. They will not fall in your lap. In fact, nothing of any value is going to just fall in your lap. You have to get out there. You have to seek that. You have to put in the work before anything. So M0 Nation, some of my first jobs in aviation. Where are you at in your commercial pilot training? You got it done? You're working on it now? What are you thinking? Do you have a job? Are you shooting for a career? What do you look at? Maybe it's not even flying. Maybe you'd be happy being a mechanics apprentice where you don't even need your AMP. Maybe you'd be happy or being, being a line personnel at the FBO. Like just you'll be at the airport. You may not be flying, but you're at the airport at least. Those are the kinds of things you need to look into, right? You got to make aviation a part of your life. Missouri Nation, you're such a blessing to us. Hope you really enjoyed this episode. Sorry, it's a little longer. I try to keep them like 15 minutes or shorter uh, usually, but went uh, rambling a little bit today. So listen, hope you're having a wonderful, outstanding day. I uh, can't wait to see you on a webinar. Hope to see you on In Flight Coffee this Saturday. 
Have a blessed, amazing, outstanding day. And most importantly, remember that a good pilot is always learning. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you.